This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with a Jazz FM Business Breakfast. And now available on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Each week I'm joined by Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Erlen to review the stories that made the business and market headlines as well as look forward to the business week ahead. I'm worried that what the European Union will do is simply take what we've offered and ask for more or wait for more. And I think it's got to be a time when we get a bit tougher with them and this should have been the time. I think we're going to be ultimately treated fairly on trade. We'll see what happens. But I can tell you that NATO now is really a a fine-tuned machine. People are paying money that they never paid before. Uh, They're happy to do it. And the United States is being treated much more fairly. The Chequers Agreement reached last week provides the platform for Donald and me to agree an ambitious deal that works for both countries right across our economies. All of this will further enhance our economic cooperation creating new jobs and prosperity for our peoples for generations to come. And it's a very good afternoon to Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. How are you doing? I'm very much depressed about England going out of the World Cup, but I'm slowly but surely getting over it. Well, time is sort of a great healer, but yes, I'm with you on that one, Craig. We lived the dream, didn't we? And just a few weeks ago, we were fantasising, but I'm afraid it it really is over. Difficult to take, isn't it? I was actually starting to uh, believe it might be coming home. I think I got so swept up in all the euphoria of beating a few poor teams that I thought that we might actually be on our way to at least uh, a World Cup final, but it, it seems that we went just a bit too far and fell slightly short. Uh, a lot to be optimistic about, and I think mm. we can safely say that for the first time in quite a while, this country has been quite united and quite jubilant, and it's actually been really nice to be around. The last time I actually remember being in this city uh, in London with this similar feeling was actually the Olympics, and uh, everyone was just overjoyed and enjoying it, which came as a surprise to me at the time, and that's exactly what this has been like, so I've thoroughly enjoyed the last two weeks. Yes, we, we do live in very divisive times, and it's nice to have something that binds everyone together, and you're right, 2012, the Olympic Games was certainly that, and uh, when we were just about 21 minutes away from a place in the World Cup final... Who knows what this country would have been like building up to Sunday. It would have been very exciting, but alas, alas. And you mentioned the divisiveness over the last couple of years. Well, we are located uh, in a secret location in uh, London's West End rather than in the city. But a few yards away, there are some major marches going on right now against Donald Trump's visit to the United Kingdom. I know that Trump has been at the forefront, uh, tariffs, NATO, the China trade data, and of course his visit to the UK. So where does one start? This is the market moment of the week. So uh, I think we've got to keep it very much market related, even if it isn't necessarily the biggest story of the week, should we say. When we did see a slight sell-off in the markets, Trump uh, effectively laid out plans uh, for his department to impose another $200 billion of tariffs against China, 10% on a a number of goods. I think it was around 6,000 different goods that they want to impose tariffs on, some very specific, some very unusual. Um, Escalating the trade war, it's not unexpected. You've worked to remember that when China announced retaliatory 
tariffs against Trump um, following the initial steel and aluminium tariffs. Trump immediately came out and said he's going to instruct for 200 billion more. Sounds like a very arbitrary number and it probably is something, but it's a very heavy hitting number. The US imports $500 billion of goods from China every year. So when you're imposing tariffs on 50 billion, people take that somewhat with a pinch of salt. When you up that to 250 billion, it becomes much more heavy hitting. This was quite a big impact and the markets did sell off. No one likes protectionism. We know that it's ultimately bad for the economies. We know it's bad for the markets and that's exactly what we saw. Trump is willing to do whatever it takes to get what he wants. Ultimately, what he wants is he wants fair and reciprocal trade by his what he believes to be fair and reciprocal trade. He wants to appear, he wants to deliver on these promises from the election campaign and this isn't necessarily a bad thing that he wants to deliver on these promises. How he goes about it uh, is very debatable on what, uh, in terms of whether he's doing the right thing or the wrong thing. But wanting to res reduce such a huge trade deficit with China isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. Um, uh, and there's a number of other policies you could look at and say it's not necessarily the policy itself which is bad or his ambition to follow through and achieve that because that's something that politicians are heavily criticised for all the time, not following through on election promises. The way he goes about things is what causes a lot of controversy uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. We saw but a few hours ago the uh, monthly trade surplus for China with the United States has hit a record high of nearly $29 billion in June as exports to the United States remain strong and that comes just a week after this trade war between the two began. Analysts certainly expect to see the impact of the tariffs in July's figures so maybe these are the last really good figures. Yeah, I mean, I think there's I think there's three things we have to remember with regards to these figures. The first one is that the initial uh, bunch of tariffs on China came into came into being on the seventh of July. So naturally, any companies who are going to be impacted by those twenty five percent tariffs will have wanted to front load their exports and try and get the sh these shipments out straight away so as to avoid them. That makes complete sense. So there is um, some evidence, uh, it seems, that this has happened. So we've seen a front loading of exports. So then this may even out over the coming months. And if you look at the longer term average, it won't look as look like such a spike. But there is also a natural trend that we are seeing where we are seeing the trade deficit not necessarily improve, but actually get worse. And again, there's a number of reasons for that. If Trump is going to pursue this policy of trade th trade war threats um, and apparent protectionism and trying to punish China and trying to hurt the Chinese economy, then naturally, in a free market, you are going to see the currency depreciate. And that's what we've seen. I believe the Chinese yuan has fallen around 6% against the US dollar. So that is going to have an impact as well, because that means US's purchase, purchasing power on Chinese imported products, sorry, is going to be greater, so therefore demand for them may potentially grow, which again exacerbates the trade surplus. The third factor, again, is quite simply the fact that Trump's just imposed tax reforms in the US, so it would appear that people have more money to spend. So if people have more money to spend, they're going to spend it, and again, that is going to only mean that they're going to buy more products, including Chinese products, which again exacerbates the problem further. This is going to feed Trump's argument, absolutely, but I think we have to look at the factors influencing it as well. Let's talk about uh, Donald Trump's intervention into our little problem here in uh, the United Kingdom, and that's uh, Brexit. Uh, some of the statements that he's made over the last few hours, I can't believe that's come from the United States uh, president. The art of the deal may be what he's about, but it's certainly not about the art of diplomacy. We've already lost very dramatic circumstances in the last week to high-ranking government ministers, David Davis and Boris Johnson. In fact, 
For Theresa May, everything looked rosy, didn't it, this time last week after the Chequers meeting. It's gone from bad to worse, and now with Donald Trump's intervention, even worse than that. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to remember these are dramatic times. So when we see measures being taken like these two resignations, we shouldn't be entirely shocked. But this is an incredibly divisive issue. She has a uh, a Brexit war cabinet uh, that is incredibly split on the issue, almost evenly, intentionally. So if you start to lean one way, you are going to anger the people on the other side. So I don't think these resignations came uh, as an enormous surprise, especially from someone like David Davis, who's been threatening to resign for the last year and a half, really, every time. Theresa May starts to lean towards a softer Brexit. Boris Johnson following suit I don't think comes as a surprise to anyone. It's actually more of a surprise maybe that he wasn't kicked out before he walked out. But again, it is absolutely worth noting here as well that we are in quite unusual times. Say that. And and these, these interventions from Donald Trump, for example aren't new he's in he's he's had his say on a number of different countries germany in particular um uh, he was heavily criticized for his approach that he took with germany publicly um at a time when there's a lot of political unease uh, in the country i think it's worth saying his comments uh, today and actually over the past couple of days because the interview he did give to a newspaper in the UK was actually conducted in Brussels prior to this. And you can always tell the difference between a Trump that's reading off a script and Trump that's, uh, that is that is uh, giving off-the-cuff comments because the Trump that we saw today was a bit more diplomatic. It was um, He was very... Uh, very well, he's being managed now, isn't he? A little bit. Exactly. And he was very intentionally throwing his support behind Theresa. He was very much saying that, yes, Boris Johnson would make a good PM, but also Theresa May is a terrific PM. When he gives Hardly his... generous, though, isn't it, considering the damage has already been done? Exactly. Especially when I think the biggest damage came when he said this white paper that Theresa May is producing means that no deal with the US can happen. And again, he did backtrack from that in the actual press conference itself with Theresa May. But as you say, the damage has already been done. You've planted the seeds in Brexiteer's head that Boris Johnson would make a great PM. He's a staunch Brexiteer. I completely back their views on immigration and no deal with the UK can happen as long as they want close ties with the EU. The seed's been planted, the damage is done. But I think we always also have to remember that these interventions don't always go to plan, and it was something that Trump himself actually highlighted in his press conference. Barack Obama's intervention prior to the referendum didn't go down too well. Yes, but with Trump, it's talk first, think later. I think Barack Obama actually made a decision to do that, probably because uh, David Cameron asked him to. Exactly. And uh, when you say with Trump, it's talk first, think later. I think it's more a case of talk first and let everyone else clear up the mess and uh, explain the... Uh, yes explain what you've said in a, at a later date but i mean how do you I think the eu is regarding this current mess because i'm not quite sure what they would prefer long term of course they prefer uh, the united kingdom to stay in the european union and perhaps some fantasists uh, within the eu think that might still happen maybe it will um are they thinking that it's better to keep theresa may in her job or possibly even Jeremy Corbyn Labour Party or one of the other possibles within the Conservative Party be there uh, more of a Brexiteer or somewhere in the middle? It's very difficult to say. I think when you look at the EU side, you have to believe it's in their best interest to keep Theresa May in the job. We've had 18 months of negotiations. We do not want to be starting again. It'd be much worse for them if Theresa May was... um, given a vote of no confidence, and then replaced with Boris Johnson or replaced so with So this could work in her favour then, couldn't it? Because maybe they'll be a little bit easier on her through the next 
realm of negotiations and not be quite as hard and fast about doing a deal. Yes, and I think we've seen evidence at times when they have been a little bit easier on her when the the pressure has seriously and significantly ramped up on Theresa May and there has been questions about her ability to actually lead us through this process. In terms of whether they would agree, they would be, rather have these negotiations with Jeremy Corbyn, again, I think this is twofold. One, at the start of the process, would they have rather had a Labour-led government by Jeremy Corbyn, probably. I think they, I think they would have because I think there's a lot more support within the Labour Party for, for closer a, for, ties to Europe yeah, and for Remain. Exactly, but now is not the time to be starting new negotiations with a new party, unless you're going to uh, extend the date with which the UK leaves the European Union. And we also have to remember we're not even sure how much of a Remainer Jeremy Corbyn is. There's very strong speculation that he himself is a Brexiteer, and if we think back to the actual uh, referendum, there wasn't an enormous amount of campaigning from him. Uh, he was not at the forefront. Um, so you don't really. It's hard to know exactly how those negotiations would go because again. One of the benefits of also being in opposition is they haven't really had to lay out clear plans on what their negotiating strategy would be. All they have to do is try and keep the government in line. Well, I always suspected that Jeremy Corbyn voted for Brexit and Boris Johnson voted for Remain, but we'll never know. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. I completely wouldn't be surprised. Okay, let's get to some more data. We haven't discussed that much this week. We saw the ECB minutes. Uh, What came out of those? It wasn't uh, anything enormously surprising. I think the biggest takeaway from it was that the board is very much divided on when that first rate hike should happen. They laid out plans at the meeting after the meeting itself that quantitative easing would be extended till the end of the year at half the pace, so 15 billion euros a month. After that, they would be cut to zero, and the first rate hike wouldn't come uh, would come um, after, uh, during the summer or through the summer or it was a a, a line along those basically now the question is and for me this is always a bit of a pointless question is the first rate going to come in june then or is going to come in august because it has to come in one of those summer months it's not really that important but there is clear divisions among the board members from these minutes that some would like it early in the summer and some would wait to wait till at least late in the summer Um, and it's not a surprise let's be honest that there's divisions here it's been a long long time since we've talked about interest rate increase in the eurozone the economy is improving but it's hardly doing well and unemployment is still very high there's still enormous amounts of spare capacity around and let's not forget as well while some economies are doing extremely well others are still very very much struggling well we may be waiting for a, a rate hike but we've seen one in the bank of canada this week we have, and the Bank of Canada, uh, again, is is remaining quite steady in its tightening approach. We've already had one rate hike this year. This was a second. The economy did slow down in the first half of the year, so I think the initial plan was probably to raise prior to this meeting, but they did take their foot off the gas a little bit because we did see some signs of slowdown um, in terms of GDP figures and things like consumer spending. But we have started to see that start to tick higher, and more importantly, inflation is actually now, um, I believe, above the mid-range of its 1% to 3% target, so that's encouraged it to, uh, to take another swipe at it. It seems that there is plans for one more rate hike this year and markets are very much pricing that in for November. Um, I believe it went up from around one in three um, priced in for November to around two in three. So it's up at around 65 to 70% priced in at this stage. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if that happens. I think there is a lot. Uh, the, the, the central bank very much seems convinced that there is no slack left in the labour market and therefore they need to take this gradual cautious approach. Let's look ahead to the week. Let's look to the week ahead. Once again, Donald Trump obviously going to take some of the headlines because he's meeting 
his old mate Vlad Putin. Uh, we've also got some UK data and it is earnings season as well. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I think the Trump-Putin meeting is going to be uh, top of the agenda for most people. It's a very, um, how do I put this? It's been met with mixed feelings. Yes, of course, world leaders need to have relationships with each other. They need to have these discussions and these meetings need to take place because how do you make any progress if you're not going to have this kind of diplomacy? The flip side of that is this is coming on the back of diplomats being uh, uh, of, of, of officials being expelled from the country after the poisoning in the UK, which again was referenced in this uh, in the press conference earlier on today. It comes on the back of the situation in Crimea still not having been resolved. The discussions having that are said take that, place, he does say quite a lot of nice things about him, doesn't he? He does seem to be a fan, uh, and we saw this in the campaign as well, um, where he referenced Putin quite a lot. He does seem to be a fan, and they do seem to be a, almost a match made in heaven to a certain extent. Mm. Um, it it's be, the strongman approach, isn't it? Exactly. The, the, this idea that I am the leader and this is how I do things. And, yeah, and people, I mean, re- people respect me, etc. It's also a bit of an old-fashioned approach, but when you look at the two characters... It's on its way back. I mean, look at Erdogan in Turkey. There are plenty of other examples as well. Yeah, it... it it, it's a, we were, it, it almost appeared like we were moving away from this kind of world and we have taken a step backwards. Um, it will be interesting to see what comes out of the meeting, uh, I think, is going to be the most important thing. This is like part of a world tour for Trump. And I think so far, if you look at everything that's happened, there has been the NATO meeting. I don't. Trump was pushing for 4% um, of GDP to be spent on... on, uh, on Defence. Defence. That that's absolutely not been agreed. Um, I think that's again a tactic to try and get them up to two percent to try and drag mm. them higher. So I'd say that was not a success, but it wasn't a failure either. The UK meeting, I think he'll sell as a success, although again that's that's very debatable. Um, it depends what fine details were agreed in the background, I guess. And then the third one is going to be this one, and then we can maybe look back on the entire week and see just how useful that has been. Uh, the other thing is earnings season. Investors are very much looking for a reason to be bullish right now. The markets have been spooked quite a lot by trade um, and second quarter earnings season offers the potential for this. We saw an incredible first quarter earnings season primarily due to uh, the tax reforms in the US very much benefiting corporates. But there was also strong revenue growth there as well. So it wasn't just that one sided. We are looking for a reason to be more bullish, but then equally, if more and more companies start talking about the threat of trade wars on their bottom line, then maybe they'll have the inverse effect. And then finally, as you say, there is a lot of UK data. So you've got things like UK unemployment next week, UK retail sales and inflation, three extremely important figures for the UK economy to be keeping a close eye on. And are you going to be watching the World Cup final on Sunday or are you just too bitter and twisted to even bother? I'm not sure which game I'm looking forward to less, a pointless third-place playoff or yeah. a rubbish World Cup final. I'm only joking. I've got France in the work sweepstakes, so I'm very Me much too. Uh, a French fan on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I suppose one other sector which should be very relieved about England not winning the World Cup would be the bookmakers because they, uh, they could have taken a bit of a hit. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think there's going to be a, a lot of uh, mixed feelings around, shall we say. Yes. Um, I think the pubs may be a bit more disgruntled about England not winning the World Cup final because I imagine they've done very, very well the last few weeks. Well, it's been a glorious summer in the UK and we've enjoyed the ride. Until next time, Craig, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. And that was the Oanda Market Insights podcast. And don't forget, you can now download this podcast on iTunes and on Android. Speak to you again soon. 
was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.